Hello and welcome to the newest episode of Community Voice. Today online we have Nathan Hirsch. Nathan is a serial entrepreneur and an expert in remote hiring and e-commerce. He actually started his first e-commerce business out of his college dorm room. I feel like a lot of people are starting college businesses out of dorm rooms nowadays. But he sold over $30 million online in baby products. He's currently the co-founder and CEO of FreeUp.com, which is a marketplace that connects businesses with pre-vetted freelancers in e-commerce, digital marketing, and much more. Hey, Nathan, thanks for jumping online. Hey, thanks for having me. Excited to be here. Yeah, absolutely. So let's learn a little bit more about your background. Pre-college dorm room e-commerce company. Where are you from? Where'd you go to school? And how did we get to starting an e-commerce business out of your dorm room selling baby products? Sure. So I grew up in Longmeadow, Massachusetts. I actually lived in East Longmeadow, but I went to school in Longmeadow. My parents were both teachers and my dad taught at the Longmeadow High School. Having parents that were both teachers, I always grew up with the mentality that I was supposed to get good grades, get into scholarship into college, get good grades in college, maybe an internship leads to a job, work for 30, 40 years like they did and retire. And that's what I was expected to do. But during the summer, I always had a a 40-hour-a-week full-time job. I never grew up poor or or rich. I was kind of in the middle. But the town Long Meadow was a lot of kids that had rich families, doctors, lawyers, dentists. So while they were spending their summers having a lot of fun, I was working 40, 50 hours a week at these jobs. And what it did was it gave me a little sneak peek of what the real world was like after college. And I almost got into my mindset because I hated these jobs so much, even though I was pretty good at them, that I didn't want this. I wanted to do something myself. I wanted to be the boss. I wanted to be in control. I wanted to build something. I didn't want to work for someone else. So at a young age, that was always in my mind. And I didn't really know how. I didn't really know what business, but that's what I wanted to do. And when I got into Quinnipiac University, I actually majored in entrepreneurship. It was a brand new program. People thought I was crazy that I didn't do the economics or the finance or the accounting because, I mean, the accounting is that safe job, right? You make fifty, sixty, seventy thousand dollars a year. You do the same thing every year. There's demand, and I was taking a lot of risk. It was kind of cool that going from a place where I just wanted what everyone else had to a place where I was now growing this business, and now I was in control and I was this boss. And it all really came down to that initial experience I had every summer working like I was in the real world. So basically, you didn't want to be as boring as your parents. And you were like, I, I got I to gotta find an alternative. So walk me through the mechanics of this. Because I feel like you know, when I was in college, and even today, I think about how much stuff I have lying around or just what I could do with it. I always think, hey, you know, I should just sell stuff on Amazon. Or I remember hearing about how there was a group of guys that during the summer bought a bunch of textbooks and then they would sell them as the school year started at a higher price and store them in like a warehouse. E-commerce seems like a very, I think, open, really easy, anyone can do it type of business. Or at least that's what I guess people who are very ignorant of the mechanics like myself think of it. Walk me through the mechanics of how to set up an e-commerce business and how you scaled to $30 million online. How did you procure the stuff you were selling? Did you work directly with distributors? And then how did you sell it? I guess on Amazon, you kind of just post it and then they come and they buy it. 
I started off with the books. It was just a way to make extra money. I would buy people's textbooks. I used that money that I made over the summer to buy these books. At the end of the semester, I would hold on to them. Uh, I would keep them in my car, in my garage, and then sell them at the beginning of next semester. And this was back in 2008, 2009. So Amazon was around. They were mostly a bookstore. No one really knew what their potential was. And from selling these books, I had learned a little bit about Amazon. And I created an Amazon seller account. I sold some books there along with selling these books to other distributors, other students. And I became addicted to it. I thought it was so cool that I had my own online store, essentially. So what I did was I experimented with different products. I tried sporting equipment. I tried DVDs. I tried computer games and all stuff that I knew that I liked. And I couldn't get anything to sell for months. The only thing I could get to sell was books. So I became very frustrated. And I started to just experiment and get out of my comfort zone a little bit. I went on these deal sites and one day I had this idea of drop shipping. This was years before I even knew it was called drop shipping. The concept that I could build relationships with different online vendors who have these products. I could list them on Amazon and get them shipped from the vendor to the end consumer. And I started experimenting with discounts with deals that I could find and One day I listed some baby products and I sold five of them in one day. And the next day I sold 10 and the next day I sold 20. And I found this little niche and it makes sense when you think about it. I mean, what are the biggest markets? Funeral homes, because everyone dies, that's that's the biggest market. But right underneath that, you've got home products, you've got baby products, you've got toys because most people have kids and parents are willing to spend high prices for these products. So I started spending hours every day just searching for baby products that I could sell and listing them online, editing the listings, trying to make my store as desirable as possible. And it really was just a lot of trial and error to get this off the ground. Now, to answer your question, I got in at an incredibly early time. This was when it was me and one other person on every listing, whereas now on Amazon, if you try to do the same thing, there'll be a lot of people selling these popular baby products. So it's a much different scope. I was selling other people's products, a lot of my clients and people that start e-commerce businesses, they come up with their own products. They get them sourced from China or manufacturers in the US. So it's a little bit different, but it's definitely not a snap your fingers and sell a lot of products. I mean, it took a lot of trial and error, a lot of learning, and a lot of creating these systems and processes. In college, I majored in economics, and there was always a competition between which was more inelastic, pet food and pet toys or baby products. And I think baby products one out, but it was too close for my comfort, at least as a human being. (laughs) So walk me into a little bit, you did this business and it seems to me like you got in early enough that there also wasn't an infrastructure for web development, marketing, those sorts of things. And I'm assuming this is what has led you into founding FreeUp. So before we get into learning more about FreeUp, walk me in your footsteps on how you came into the online platform hiring business and your experience with that while you were running this other company. So I'm running this e-commerce business. I'm doing everything, orders, emails, listing, and the business is growing. I'm making a good amount of money and I decide, okay, it's time to start paying taxes, right? So I meet with an accountant and I work with him for my taxes. And one day he asked me, hey, when are you going to start hiring? When are you going to hire your first person? And I kind of shrugged him off. I said, why would I do that? I love doing this. I can do it 10 hours a day, seven days a week. No one can do it as well as I can. All the money's going into my pocket. Why would I want to pay someone else? And he laughed in my face and he essentially said, okay, you're going to learn this lesson out on your own. Sure enough, 
fourth quarter rolls around, my first holiday season, my first busy season, and I did not prepare at all. And I got slammed with orders and emails and angry moms who I missed getting their kid a present in time for Christmas. And I was working 20 hours a day, not to mention balancing my school life, my social life, and everything that goes with that. And for two months, it was hell. I I had no help. I was doing everything. And somehow I made it out the other side because I just didn't give up and I worked my butt off. But when it got into January, I regrouped and I was like, whoa, I can never let that happen again. I need to start hiring people. But given my situation, who was I going to hire? I was surrounded by college students. I wasn't going to go out and post jobs for some 35-year-old marketing expert. And people didn't know Amazon. There were no courses. There were no gurus. There weren't any Amazon experts. Anyone that I hired, I was going to have to teach myself. And after hiring college students for a little while, and I made a really good hire, my business partner, Connor, who still works with me today on FreeUp, I proceeded to make bad hire after bad hire after bad hire. So (laughs) I make that one good hire. I think hiring is easy make some bad hires, realize that hiring college students is probably not a great long-term plan. And that's when I first started to do research and got introduced to the online hiring marketplaces, the Upworks, the Fibers. And I started to experiment. And hiring these remote workers was incredible because no longer did I just have access to the talent around me and the town next to me. I now had access to talent all over the world, people who could work on different time zones so the business could run 24-7, people who specialize in different things, who had years of experience. And that was really my first entry into that remote hiring world. And I became addicted to that. And I really saw the power and how much it helped me grow my business. Got it. And you know, college students are certainly tough to have as employees. As a college student employee, I probably wasn't the hardest worker either. So In terms of free up, how is it different from the Upworks and Fivers of the world? Walk me through how your methodology is different because I know a lot of organizations that use Upwork and the way it's structured is you almost create a project, you get a bunch of people bidding and trying to get the job. I know you have to go through a pretty arduous interview process with each person. And then even after that, some people flake out and you know, that's a little bit of the kind of negative side of that. The positive being, obviously, that you have access to global talent to do what you're looking to do. But walk me through how you develop FreeUp to be different. Sure. So, I mean, you go on the Upworks, the Fivers, whatever marketplace you use, you post your job, you get 100 people, you interview them one by one, and it takes forever. And what business owner has two weeks to interview someone for a five-hour graphic design project. It it just doesn't make a lot of sense. There had to be a better way. And when I couldn't find that, I built it myself. At FreeUp, we get hundreds of applicants every week, freelancers from all over the world. We vet them not only for skill, but for attitude and communication as well. We reject 99 out of every 100 people that apply, taking the top 1% and letting them into our network. From the client side, it's free to sign up. There's no monthly fee, no minimums, no obligation. It's in our best interest to get people that can actually help their business. And whenever they need a worker, they put in a request telling us exactly what they need. We introduce them to someone within a business day, usually faster or really quick. They can interview them for 10 to 15 minutes, see if they're a fit. If they like them, click the hire button and get started right away. If they don't like them, click pass, give us some feedback, and we'll get them someone else based on that feedback. And then on the back end, we have freelancers from 5 to $75 an hour ready to go. My calendar is right on the website. People can always book a time with me, but I also have people that 
monitor my Skypes and emails 24-7. So if you have even the smallest need or smallest issue, we're always there to help. And then we also added a no turnover guarantee because we know how frustrating it is to go through that two-week process on the other marketplaces, hire someone, invest time and money into them, only to have them quit and then start that process over again. So people in our network very rarely quit. It is real life. It could happen. If they do, we cover all replacement costs and get them a new person right away. So that's how we differentiate ourselves, the pre-vetting, the speed, the customer service, and that protection in the end. And who would you say your target customer is? Is it large organizations that special project comes up, they need to flex with a developer, or is it smaller companies? Who's your kind of target customer? We started off with our target customer being Amazon sellers because that was our background. We were in the community. It was kind of easy to be like, hey, I had this Rolodex of people that I've used before. Come try out our new service. But people love the service and they started telling people in the e-commerce community. So we start getting Shopify and eBay store owners and Walmart sellers. And then they start telling other businesses and we're getting real estate agents and software companies and marketing agencies. And so we've really expanded to where we service all different types of businesses. I mean, obviously, our ideal customer is someone who has a big hiring spending budget, people who have constant work where if they have a bad week or a bad month, they're not just firing everyone. But we work with lots of small businesses, people who need access to fast talent, people who don't need a 40-hour-a-week person. They need someone project-based or 10 hours a week or 20 or, or whatever it is. We work with a lot of startups, online businesses, people that need freelancers or don't need people to actually come into their office or come into their retail store or being client-based. But we've really expanded to where we can help all different types of businesses, no matter what their needs are. One question I have in terms of what do you say to the criticism of these sorts of online hiring platforms that are leveled in terms of U.S. developers or Canadian developers, North American developers, people who are in developed countries whose hourly rates are kind of commensurate with their standard of living, they can't compete with someone in a developing country or you know someone who's charging $5 an hour for the same work. What is the defense of the free up model? How do you kind of justify that business model? Yeah, great question. So two parts of that. One, we don't set the market. The freelancers set their own rates on free up. We don't decide what rates they set. We don't really get involved in that. And there are different price points for different places. I was just in the Philippines and we paid out over $3 million to freelancers all around the world last year. And we have people showing me their houses, their cars, things that they were able to buy to provide for their family, but people who have worked really hard to create these skills and now have a place to get clients and turn that into a revenue stream. And same in the US. I mean, we have plenty of freelancers in the US who have made over $100,000 with us, well over $100,000 with us last year and everything in between. So we have both on the platform. There are businesses that have different needs. And one of the cool things about FreeUp, which is so different than the other platforms, is the client gets to put in their request. What are they looking for? If their budget is $6 an hour, we're only introducing them to people who are $6 an hour. If they want a US developer, which a lot of our clients do, we're only introducing them to US developers that are $40, $50, $60 an hour. So with us, it's not just a posting that everyone can apply. And if you're someone in the US, all of a sudden you see 
20 people submit for that same job for $5 an hour. And how do you ever compete with that? That doesn't really happen with us. We let the client tell us what they need. If the client doesn't know what they need, we can send them options, maybe one US, one non-US at different price points. They can talk to them and see who the best fit is. But we have lots of non-US people that are charging very good rates, maybe even above what they were charging on the other marketplaces because we're only taking the best of the best and vice versa. I mean, we have people that are below market value or our market value. I mean, they're setting their own rates. They get to make those decisions, but we're not the one who created this whole market of freelance. We just kind of go by the market and we do give clients that option. And we've really developed a nice balance between US and non-US talent where clients can decide what the best fit for them is. And then on the freelancer side, they like it because they're only getting introduced to clients that are the right fit for them. Yeah, it's a catered process. And I guess, you know, jumping off of that question, whenever I use one of these platforms, we just develop our website at CYC. I think most of these platforms, and correct me if I'm wrong, are probably being used for web development or coding or some sort of tech application. I'm always struck by the kind of skills gap in terms of people in the US or North America more broadly versus people in developing countries. How many more coders and engineers and, you know, just tech enabled freelancers you have from other countries? Is this kind of a heuristic? Am I kind of extending one project too broadly? Or is this something that you're noticing as well that we kind of as a population have not put these skills maybe to the level of importance that they should be at? I think it's quickly changing. So the gay economy right now is booming. In the next 10 years, over 50% of the workforce is going to be remote. And this just started in other countries a little bit earlier because, for example, I was in the Philippines and the main job there is working US hours at either a telemarketing place or a call center. And that's what a lot of their population does. And the traffic is bad. You have to drive an hour into work each day. The pay isn't great, but that's what people were used to. So once these online portals to offer your services came out, they jumped on them pretty quick because the advantages, the benefits of working for these places or for working as a freelancer opposed to these places was so big. So all of a sudden, people started to perfect their skills and offer their services and really take over these marketplaces. Well, in the US, that caught on a little bit later. There's a lot more opportunities. There's better jobs. There's ways to use your skills. But people started to realize that, hey, having one employer is incredibly risky. If that person fires me, I lose my entire source of revenue. Whereas if I'm a freelancer and I have multiple clients, all of a sudden, I can build a Rolodex. If someone drops me, it doesn't matter. I can regroup. I still have a revenue stream. I don't have to spend money on gas every day and commute. I can work in my pajamas. I can perfect a skill. I can charge my own rates. I can offer packages. I can become a business. And all that stuff wasn't possible 15, 20 years ago. So I think in the US, it caught on a little bit later. There's also the price point. I mean, you need people to be able to pay more, especially if you're a freelancer and you're running your own business. But it's really changed a lot. It's growing a lot more. I mean, I've seen it with Free Up. I've seen people who have a full-time job and are freelancing on the side. And then all of a sudden, they're thanking me because they were able to quit that job and become a freelancer full-time. So I understand your question, and it definitely started that way. But I would argue that it's shifting more in the other direction. Yeah, that's good to hear. Take me to kind of how you see, because you're on the front lines of this. I think there's a lot of trepidation about what work and employment is going to look like, not in 
100 years, but in five or 10 years. So walk me through, again, because you were on kind of the forefront of this change, running an e-commerce Amazon business in 2008. Walk me through where you see work and employment going, not just working from home as a freelancer, doing web development, but almost more broadly in terms of what Uber has done for driving, obviously, is always the kind of metaphor people use for other industries. But it seems like these platforms, they really permit and give people the flexibility of you know being their own boss, but in a way that I think is more sustainable than just going out and starting your own business. So walk me through where you see the future of employment from kind of your vantage point as the CEO of of a company that creates a platform that's really changing, I think, the face of employment. Yeah. And it's so much more than just web development. I mean, everything from customer service to bookkeeping, to graphic design, to marketing and content, all that stuff, it can be done remotely. It's no longer just the, the web development and the tech. I mean, from the hiring side, if you're not taking advantage of the gig economy right now, your competitors are, or they will be soon. You need to jump on that train. There is a huge competitive advantage to getting access to remote talent. And that competitive advantage is going to get bigger and bigger. I mean, if you think of it from the employer side, you no longer need to hire someone for 40 hours a week and hope to fill up their schedule to get the most out of them. You can hire someone part-time or project-based when stuff comes on. You can hire people to work opposite schedules. We have so many businesses now that are really running 24-7. You can hire someone at night. The work doesn't end at five o'clock when the office closes down. I mean, the freelancers billed me 800 hours last week and probably half of those hours, if not more, were done when I wasn't working, when I was sleeping or whatever it is. You get different price points. You now can stretch a budget further and you can decide, hey, I want to hire someone for $75 an hour to do my marketing five hours a week and I'm going to cap it at that and not 40. And then I'm going to take that other money and hire three customer service reps in the Philippines for $5 an hour instead of hiring someone in the US for 15 to 20. So you can utilize your money differently and more strategically. You can hire people for the unnecessary amount of time. You don't have a lot of the other overhead costs. I know I opened up an office and I quickly got rid of it because I realized how unnecessary it was in this time. So it's only shifting more and more that way. And you see all these brick and mortar stores going out of business because they have that overhead. They haven't adjusted. And I think a lot of the ones that are staying in business are using those remote workers more and more, even if they do have a physical office. I think from a trajectory standpoint, overhead is certainly becoming a thing of the past and not just in retail and I think many different industries and businesses. So stepping a little bit away from free up and more towards your background and skill set, I think it would be helpful to understand we have a lot of entrepreneurs and people who have started their own businesses, small business owners. And it's always interesting to kind of hear what do you think are, and I don't want to put a number on it, but let's say the top three skills or attributes that you had that led you to where you are? How did you kind of scale past the intangible or ethereal barrier of, I got to get a job, I got to work this many hours a week and then retire in 40 years? Walk me through your top three to five attributes that you think put you to where you are and that other people could kind of try to cultivate. 
Sure. So, I mean, the biggest thing is I'll outwork anyone. (laughs) I mean, even if you go back to sports, I was never the most athletic, but I was always on varsity because I would work harder than everyone else, but I would also strategically work. I would figure out ways to do things differently, ways to get that advantage. I'm not talking about cheating. I'm talking about ways to get better form or work out different hours or, or whatever it was. And I apply the same thing at business. I'm always looking for that next thing to put me over the top. And I'm working harder than everyone else, but also working strategically, whether it's hiring other people or using other resources. I mean, that's the thing. There's no fast step around hard work. The second thing is problem solving. I mean, there's no entrepreneur out there that doesn't run into problems. You're going to have stuff just pop up out of nowhere. You're going to have competitors pop up. You're going to have things that don't go exactly the way you want. And the ability to look at a problem, get all the information, look at your different options, pick a plan, execute it, and put steps in place so that same problem doesn't happen again is key. I mean, there's so many points along my entrepreneurial journey that if I hadn't have problem solved, that was it. Or the business would have taken a big step back and might not have recovered. So problem solving is huge. And I would say the last thing is the customer service, but also just giving your word. I don't screw people over. If I tell someone I'm going to do something, I make sure it gets done. We live in a world of imperfection, especially if you're a startup. You're going to make mistakes. Things aren't going to go exactly the way you want. And it's how you handle those things. Do you make it right away or do you have a bunch of excuses and you try to save every last penny? And with us, we take responsibility if we make a human error, if something's wrong. And we go above and beyond to not only make the client whole, but then some and make sure that they know that we actually do care about them and have their back. So I would say those are the three things that have really separated me and helped me achieve so much success before I was 30, just because I was focused on the hard work, the problem solving, and that customer service and giving people my word. I think that's something that Silicon Valley and I think a startup culture has maybe infused a lot of apathy in terms of you kind of have to be very pragmatic and always put ends above means. And I think maintaining that handshake deal, I'm going to stick to my word, is extremely important. And I think very, very pertinent to any entrepreneur because that that obviously still matters in relationships with customers and, and also employees. Nathan, it was a pleasure having you on the podcast. I think we work with a lot of small businesses that could be well served broadly by dipping their toes into the gig economy. It sounds like you're opening a lot of doors for companies that may be in areas that don't have a talent pool for not just web development, content development, obviously backend stuff, but you know many more different applications for their business. If you could share, where are most of the companies that you work with located? Are they in cities? Are they in rural areas? I assume that companies in rural areas or in areas that don't have access to very highly educated young workforces would be most served by Freya. Is that kind of an area you're trying to break into or do you already have a lot of customers in those areas? Yeah, I mean, the customer base is all spread over. I mean, what you said is true. If you're in an area where there's not access to talent, you obviously have to utilize the remote workforce more, but you could also look at it the other way. The people that are in cities Yes, they might have access to talent, but the talent is more expensive. 
and you're competing against everyone else for that same talent. So we have clients all over. It doesn't matter if it's rural cities, people in the UK, we have people in the US, we have people in China. I mean, there isn't just one place or one person or one type of business that can take advantage of the remote gig economy right now. It's really all businesses. And and we even have clients that have no location. They are a remote company. Their owner travels all the time. Everyone that they work with is also remote. And a lot of those people are traveling too. So it's really cool just seeing that this really evolve and giving all these people from all different places and backgrounds and different points in their company access to all this talent. That's great. And I asked that question. I'm originally from down East Maine. Both my parents started small businesses and I know how difficult it was just to do something very simple like build out a website or digital marketing. And that was always something that seemed such a low-hanging fruit and huge value add, but I was the only person they could go to and I was 11 or 12 years old and had very little knowledge in those respects. So it's great that programs like this exist, especially for places like Down East in a rural Maine. Nathan, I appreciate you jumping on the podcast. And if our audience wants to find out more about you or FreeUp, what do you think is the best way they can go about doing that? So if you go to freeup.com with three E's, my calendar is right at the top. You can book a meeting with me. I'd love to talk to you about your business, what you have going on and how we can help. Obviously answering any questions about FreeUp if you have any. If you go to freeup.com and click become a client, you can create a free account Mention this podcast for a free $25 credit to try us out. And we really do want to help you with your hiring needs. You can also join the online hiring mastermind group in Facebook. We post a lot of great content there and check out the free up blog. So I really appreciate you having me. I look forward to helping your audience. And obviously, if you have any hiring needs, we can help you as well. Thank you, Nathan. Have a good one. You too.